Good morning, saints of HBC. You could turn to Romans chapter 5, and uh, we'll continue to go one word at a time. All-time record of slow, but we haven't wanted to miss anything. Uh, after going through the Gospel of Mark, we wanted to see just what do we have in our great salvation in light of what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection. Where does that leave us? And so we thought it would be good for a few weeks here in May to talk about the grace and the peace that we have from God and with God. We've been given grace from God in our salvation, having been justified. And then right from that, Paul writes, because of that, we have peace with God. And so really this month is just a time to slow down and examine our wonderful salvation, that we stand justified in Christ and in Christ alone. That's the ground for us being at peace with God. That's the ground for us believing presently. Right now, in this room, we stand in His grace. We live in a world of grace in our relationship with God. And we have hope in the glory of God. And so that's in our justification. And it's because God sees us just as if He sees His perfect Son, Jesus Christ. By faith in Him, this is how He sees you now and will see you forever. That when you die, when you stand before him in heaven, when you, when you live forever in eternity, there will be never a moment where you're not standing in the work of Christ's righteousness on your behalf. Always, everything we have in our salvation is in him. And we just sang that, you know, our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer, that you died, the grave and death you conquered, you rose. All, this, all these wonderful truths we sing are just really expressions of that wonderful phrase, having been justified by faith. But... It's the part after that that becomes a little more difficult. The, and it's not that it's, I guess, when I say difficult, not a difficulty in the complicated nature of it. It's just really difficult. It's hard in actuality then to go from our great salvation, this wonderful treasure we have in Christ, to living our daily life in a fallen world, in a sinful world. Not just the sin that's around us, but even the sin that still remains in us. And that's what we could call under a, a, a big banner, uh, suffering. That we still, in this world, having become followers of Jesus Christ, trusting in Him alone for our salvation, still face suffering. And some of that suffering we saw last week is a result of just the world we live in. We just live in a sin-cursed world. And so we receive that without having any contribution to it. Bad things happen to good people. I mean, that's just the way life is, Job 5, 7 says, as sparks fly upward, so man is born for trouble. And that suffering that's outside of us, we can't do anything about in reality. Then there's even the sin that we bring the suffering upon ourselves, the sin that we commit that's a consequence of our disobedience to God's revealed word, that he has to, as a parent, disciplines his child and loves his child and doesn't want anything ill for his child, is going to discipline that child so that they grow to learn to obey and to avoid the things that are not for their good. And so we can bring suffering on ourselves in that way. And then there's also the suffering that we receive as a victim of someone else's sinful actions against us. And we even looked at Cain and Abel and said, hey, this scriptural account, Abel did nothing wicked to evoke Cain's wicked actions against him. It was just Cain's choice to act upon his own evil. So we kind of tried to look at suffering last week to frame up our wonderful salvation to say, when we move from the glory that we have, standing in the righteousness of Christ, to life in a sin-cursed world, the thing that may make us doubt, just put a little hint of doubt of how good we have it is when suffering enters the equation in our daily life because it may make us wonder, does God really love me? Is God really still in control? Is my salvation going to get me all the way to heaven? Or could there be something I do or something done to me that could jeopardize that? And so that's where we saw in Romans 5, perhaps that was on Paul's mind writing because right after he says all these wonderful gifts we have in our salvation, not only this, but we can rejoice in our sufferings. He was bringing the thought to the reader's mind, to the listener's mind, there could be something that might threaten that. And so he says we have to know something about suffering in order to rightly respond to it. So that's where we find ourselves today, responding to what suffering is in us and around us in a way that we can bring glory to God's name. So follow with me, Uh, Romans 5. I'll read all of 1 to 5 because that's where we're going to be for this month, uh, taking it slow, one verse, even one word at a time. Paul starts, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Through Jesus, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, so shall God's word be that goes out from his mouth. It will not return to us empty. Let's look into that word this morning and see the blessings we have in the security of our salvation. As we talk about the blessings of our salvation, being justified by faith, peace with God, grace with God, and hope in God, those are wonderful truths of your salvation that you can't actually see. You believe them by faith, hence the statement, we have been justified by faith. All of these wonderful blessings in our salvation, we live by faith and not by sight. The question is, is there something we can see that's not our salvation but is evidence that we have actually been saved, that we have been changed. And that is really where the conversation moves to in the mind of Paul, talking about the things that we rejoice in, that we cannot see, that we know we have, that we rejoice in, in our salvation, to now what can we see that gives us an evidence, a testedness, that our salvation is the real thing. And many would argue, That the truest test of a believer's life is what they see not in their prosperity, but in their adversity. It's the crucible of suffering that really, first and foremost, gives evidence to you yourself that what you have is genuine. And that's really the argument in the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 1, where he just comes right out and says it. He just says that we have... Uh, we have rejoicing, 1 Peter 1.6. We rejoice, though, now for a little while, if necessary. You've been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. This is, this is what Peter and Paul would both go back to to say. If, if you want to see what your faith actually looks like, The acid test, if you will, for it is going to be suffering. And I do think that there's just simple logic to the the idea that how good do you know something is unless it's tested. I mean, I I don't think we should kind of recoil at the thought that this is how our salvation works. I mean, think about in your life the things that you really didn't know how good it was until it was tested. You have a home security system. You know, the, the thing that gives you confidence, you put the sign in your yard, the stickers in your windows. But how good is that home security system until it starts going off at 1 a.m. because the raccoons got in your trash? And now maybe you're thinking, maybe, maybe I should call up my home security system guy and stage a fake break-in just to see because the raccoons aren't getting in my trash. But truly, you're going to know the tested value. Why you pay $65.99 a month for this home security system is so it works at 3 a.m. when the bad guy's trying to get in your house. That's when you're going to know the true value of it. Granted, you're pleased to walk by it every day and look on your phone and, you know, hit the buttons to turn it on each night. But it's when it's tested as you go, this was really worth it. Maybe hitting closer to home for those who want to live well in in Hickory. And it was the the wooden arches, not the golden arches. that when tested (laughs) fell and all the engineering and all the standing back and even if you are some type of structural engineer and you walked by it one day and went I don't know if this is going to hold it would have just been speculation but it really needed wind to blow to knock it down and prove it otherwise there was something in it that wasn't Tested. I mean, they, you could manufacture, you could try to run all the theoretical tests you want, crunch all the numbers, but when the actual wind gust came, 
down it went. And so it is that Paul is bringing up today. How, how do we know we have such a great salvation? Well, there are the things that we cannot see. The peace that we enjoy with God. The grace that we stand in to come before him in Christ. And the hope we have for future glory. And then verse 3, you see, he shifts the attention of our minds and hearts to the thing that we last would want to really look out and say, hey, if I'm going to know my faith is secure, I need it to be tested. And so that's the nature of his argument in this point in verse 3. Not only do we rejoice in the, the wonderful things we can't see, we could even rejoice in our sufferings, that which we can see. But, as I said last week, what's the next word after that? We rejoice in our sufferings. So we don't think this is uh, moving us down the path, as we said, to some form of ancient stoicism, uh, the Captain America, I can do this all day mentality, that just, you know, I eat suffering for breakfast, a side of it for lunch. And, you know, that's not his point, saying rejoice in it. Or also the, the, the side that, in a, in a strange way, would um, the Epicureanism. The, the, I'm going to avoid even talking about the idea. You know, no, he's just saying, look, we can rejoice in our suffering if we know something. What is it that we need to know? And so we started last week looking at the totality of suffering that we could in one service. And this week we want to test it with looking at the idea of what it produces. Suffering produces endurance. So let's start there in verse 3. The process of enduring. Last week we talked about the presence of suffering. That is one ingredient in the testing of our salvation to show its security. That without which you're not going to have something genuine. You have to be able to put that suffering, the presence of it goes in, but there is another ingredient into the alchemy, if you will, of testing our salvation, and that is the process of enduring, a no-quit Christianity. So let's first just look at the word, like we looked at suffering last week. This word for endurance in your translation might say perseverance or steadfastness, uh, one Bible translation even translated it, passionate patience. It's a good word for endurance, isn't it? Because the passionate patience idea has this idea that's more active rather than passive. We can think endurance, uh, steadfast perseverance is just, just not doing anything, just being there. But really, the, the virtue comes in the act of resistance against it. And you can see, well, knowing what we knew about the word suffering last week, when you just look at the roots of these words, uh, the word suffering we talked about last week was this word for, a literal word for um, uh, grinding something down. We talked about the wheat that would be ground down and the pestle, the, the, the smashing it together, the pressure applied, or we said grapes that were being pressed. That's how that word would have been used in the time of Paul amongst the Greeks. But then this word for endurance, who is what's being produced by that, is actually a word for, it's a compound word that has a preposition that means uh, um, something that's under, but it's dwelling there. And I know that word because it's the word for abide in the original Greek. And we studied abiding in Christ, which we said is staying with, dwelling with. So this word for endurance in your life, believer, is this idea that I am not Passively resisting anything, I am staying under whatever it is God has over me. Do you see how now it's two sides of the same coin of the testing of your faith? The one side is the, the thing that's outside of you that you might not have control over. It's the suffering. It's the pressure. It's the coming in on you. And then on the flip side, what are you called to do? To stay under. And that's an active resistance. Some of you that do... Uh, the weights, the lifting, the exercises. You know uh, what the difference would be to just walk into a gym and passively think that you're going to build some muscle in, in just the entrance into the place. It's clean. The music's pumping. Everybody looks good. There's protein shakes for sale. And you might think, you know, by osmosis, I will build muscle. I will just look at all the people suffering around me, building muscle, and somehow it's going to come into me. You know what? And you'll do one better. You'll go over to the bench and you'll lay on it. <laughs> and you still, in a passive way, might be thinking, it's going to work. And then somebody who looks like they work out comes and just says, how about let's start with the bar? So you go, let's do it. Whew. All right. Let's go, muscles. Start doing your thing. And if you would just be letting the weight of that bar press on you, but not actively resisting against it, no muscle will be built. You'll have a nice indention across your chest, 
but nothing happens. And that's not what Paul is saying when he's saying suffering produces, which is an action verb, produce, achieve, cause. Suffering produces endurance. It's the enduring word that's the staying under that's actually resisting against it. And again, back to the analogy of working out. It's that active resistance against the bar pressing on you that's going to produce something. The connection between suffering and enduring. It's an active connection. It's, it's part of that, what I use the picture of the threads of our security being wound together. As suffering presses on you, you respond with enduring. And it's as I used the picture last week of the Golden Gate Bridge when they took a cross section of those 36 inch wide uh, steel threads, thousands and thousands wound together. This is what's providing the security for that bridge to stay up. And when you're going across it, and you have the picture of the cross-section in your mind, you might have a little more courage on that bridge thinking, hey, I know these aren't just like some hollow orange PVC pipes holding this 887,000 ton bridge up. No matter what goes across it, it's going to hold. And I'm glad I can see it. And that's what what the process of enduring is doing in our lives. It's giving us something to see. And so really there is all there is there for Paul. He just wants you to rejoice in your sufferings when you know that suffering is producing an outcome called endurance staying under that's building you up. But like I did last week, we took a side route into the rest of the Bible to say this word suffering, we got to let it feel its full weight for us to believe and know it. So let's take a side route today and talk about endurance. And I want you to see for yourself the, the threads of our salvation security being wound together using the thread of endurance. We talked about the thread of suffering last week, holding us up, winding things around. Now let's talk about that other thread called endurance. What is it and why should we trust it? Is it a good thing, scripturally speaking? So I'm going to give you five ways our endurance works to help build the security in our salvation through suffering. First is this. Endurance is helped by God and his word. Before it becomes anything about us, This is something about God. When we talk about endurance or perseverance or steadfastness in our lives, let's first find the source from which we will draw our strength. That makes sense. Where is the thing connected? If you say my assurance is in in Christ, what's, what's, what's the connection? How can I trust it? Well, first know the source is a God of endurance. Romans 15, 4 and 5, you'll hear this phrase that it's an underrated attribute of God that we probably don't talk about it enough, but it's as wonderful and glorious as any of the other of his attributes because they're all of one of the same God. Paul writes at the end of Romans 15, thanking these believers for the way in which they've persevered. Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance, that's the same word that we have here in Romans 5, 3, Through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So there were things that these believers in Rome were reading in the scriptures, written earlier, that were telling them to keep going and perseverance and then was being built. But what was the source of the real strength there? Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. Brother, sister, the root that bears the fruit of endurance in your life, the root is a God who is a God of endurance. He is is the God who sets the standard for endurance. Now you might say, well, I don't know. Like I never thought of God's attributes. You know, God is love or, you know, God is holy. God endures. Starting in Genesis 3, through the rest of the Bible and right now until today in this very room, is God not enduring? Is he not passionately patient with who? With me and with you and with a sinful creation. The the, the patience of God that's been going on since Genesis 3 is part of God's attributes of being the God of perseverance. The God who can give perseverance is because that's bound up in the character of who he is. So when when we approach endurance in Romans 5, 3, knowing that suffering produces it, it's good for us to know that we can do it because we have a God who's been doing it. 
From the time Adam and Eve sinned and sin spread to all men, as we saw in Romans 5.12, death came into the world through that. What has God been doing other than being patient and enduring with his sinful creation? You hear this language at the end of 2 Peter in chapter 3. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That, that patience of God is rooted in the fact that he has a passionate, enduring love for his creation. And that, that the strength of any endurance that we have, we can, we can run back up that chain to God to see where it comes from. Our ability and our help. Notice it's the God of perseverance who grants us who gives us the ability to endure. And he's working on us through his word because the encouragement of the scriptures helps us to persevere. But it's not just God. If you think about the Trinity, you think about um, Hebrews 12, verse 3, that we are to consider him, it says, who endured from sinners hostility against himself so that we don't grow weary. Where is the source of your endurance? It's not just in God the Father, the God of endurance. It's in also God the Son that we can see in flesh and blood that this isn't uh, God is spirit up in the heavens. He's patiently enduring, but we never look, know what that looks like. We knew what it looked like when we studied Mark and we read about the drops of blood in the garden and the prayers and the enduring and what Jesus praying to his father to give him the strength to keep going. We have a savior that knows what it's like to endure. And not to leave out the Holy Spirit. Some, you know, said the forgotten member of the Trinity. But as patience relates to endurance... Really, patience is the display of our endurance. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience. So when we, back to Romans 5, 3, think about how we're going to know that suffering produces endurance, we know that endurance is being helped by God and His Word, and not just the Word of God. By the way, also, Isaiah 40, which I often quote after I've read the Scriptures, we hope in an enduring Word. So think of all the ways in which before we even step into the realm of suffering and we think about what type of endurance do we have in the bank of God that we can cash the check at. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and God's Word all available to you so that when you have to endure, you know that He has gone before you. That's the first thing. And how do we get that supply? You say, hey, Adam, that's great. There's the source. Well, the supply of that source is what? The word in prayer. As you read the word of God to draw endurance from the God of endurance, the Spirit's illuminating the enduring word to you that builds you up and strengthens you in it. So it comes back to communion with God, reading his word, hearing from him, and praying to God, him hearing from you. Second, endurance helps us fix our hope on Christ in particular. And we were just in Hebrews. We'll go back there for a moment. Hebrews chapter 12, I, I talked about Hebrews 12, 3, that we're to consider Christ. But what are we actively doing when we are going through suffering and when we are enduring? We are remembering, when it says consider him, we're remembering the example of Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. There's a lot in that one verse. But when you think about it in relation to Romans 5.3, when Romans 5.3 is talking about our endurance is produced by suffering and it's a suffering we can rejoice in based on what we know, don't, that's jumping off your page in Hebrews 12.2 because Jesus for the joy. So there's the rejoicing. What? Endured the cross that was set before him. He saw, he knew in faith the outcome was going to be the salvation of sinners. He knew the bigger purpose God was doing there for God's own glory and our good. That we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's not just looking at our justification, but it's looking actively in our daily life and saying, Jesus actually in his life had to endure suffering, difficulty. And he was able to do it with joy. And if I know that, 
I can fix my hope on him. Again, already we're seeing this has nothing to do with us yet, does it? This is just looking to God and knowing something about his character and attributes. And now it's knowing something about Jesus Christ, that you are looking to him. Which if I could just make one comment on looking to Jesus It literally means looking away to Jesus. And why do I bring that up? Because I think that adds, practically speaking, it adds to my understanding of what I'm prone to do. When you just write maybe in the margin there, looking away to Jesus, it reminds you that you are prone to what? Be looking at something you shouldn't. When we go through suffering and trial, and what does it say in verse 1? Sin, which clings so closely. We're we're either going to be looking to Jesus or we're looking to what? The sin that clings so closely. The things that are entangling us up. And if you're going to run with endurance, you need to look away from those things and look to Christ. I mean, can you not think of how many times in your life you have spun your wheels in the race of faith looking at your what? Your sin. Just going nowhere. Contemplating your circumstance. Getting worried and anxious about what the future might hold. And you're just looking at the entangling. And the entangling things aren't necessarily bad things. They're just the stuff of life that hold us back. But we could also get get caught up looking at the sin which clings closely. That once we start looking at it too long, it maybe pulls us back and allures us again. And either way, we're to be looking away from that and looking to Jesus. And that's how you run with endurance. So endurance is good and that it says, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it because you're staring at him. And that's not just kind of Christianese. Really, you can see this in your life. Looking at your sin and circumstance, suffering, whether you brought it on yourself or from someone else, where does it leave you other than discouraged? Or maybe worse, mad at God and more bitter towards someone else. But where has it gotten you, brother or sister, when for a moment you said, wait, I know I'm supposed to be doing something else here. And you look to Christ. And you do something as simple, fulfilling the command to consider him who endured from sinners such hostility. So in a practical way, if you're in a situation and there's a person who you feel is really grinding on you, persecuting you, hard to deal with, you'd say, I can remember Christ. I can look to Christ who endured from sinners hostility so that I won't grow weary or faint-hearted and drop out of the race and not want to keep running. And that's for the Christian. Now, if you're an unbeliever here today, your introduction to Christ right now is one and the same. It's fair. He doesn't have a separate category for you. In the same way for any brother or sister in Christ, any believer in here that has to look to Christ to overcome their sin, to look away from their sin and look to Jesus and his finished work on the cross, that your righteousness comes from him. If you're not a Christian today, your entry into a relationship with God, to be at peace with God, to enjoy his grace and not feel you have to work your way to him, is the same. You look to Jesus Christ. How else has it ever been explained to you? Look away from your what? Look away from the sin that you're entangled in that you love and you don't want to look to Christ because you know you're going to have to leave that. Or some of you, it's looking away from your works righteousness. You, You still are trying to climb your way to heaven on a rope of sand. And that's what it is to try to earn your salvation. You just as soon try that. But you look away from those things today. And you look to Jesus Christ, perfect righteousness, perfect forgiveness offered to you if you look to him. And you may not know the fullness of all that that would change in your life, but if you know what not looking to him has brought you to today and the situation you find yourself in and the hopelessness you have in your heart that you've kept trying to earn your way to God or avoid God and either way it leaves you where you are right now and Christ is saying look to me look to me and be saved 
That's how you come to Christ today. Acknowledging your own sin. Knowing that the pastor here isn't condemning you. John 3 says very clearly, we're already condemned. We live under the wrath of God, condemned. What Jesus Christ offers to you and brings into your life in this very moment and says you can have this is pardon from your condemnation. Pardon from the, the wrath of God. And you might say, how does that happen? And he says, I take your place. I went to the cross. I died for sinners. And only sinners come to me for salvation. There's actually no other category. If you come to Christ to be saved, it's because you're a sinner. And there's, there's been nobody else under that label in all of history that's come to him and been saved. So you're in the same company as every other person that stands condemned before a holy God. And he says, look to me today. Look to me and be saved. Be delivered. Be redeemed. Have hope. Be at peace with God. And he offers you himself. Not a religion. Not a worldview. Jesus offers you this morning himself. And you believe in faith that that's what you're getting when you look to Christ to be saved. And so, for the Christian, he's not just who we've looked to in the past to know we have peace with God and we stand in his grace, but he's we look to in the present to know how to endure. Third, it's not, now this moves away from just looking to the God of endurance and to Christ who endured. But there is something down here we can look around at and be encouraged to be endure for, and it's uh, endurance helps others to fix their hope on Christ. 2 Thessalonians 1.4, Paul writes to a good church. First uh, and 2 Thessalonians, if you're ever interested in a study on a good church, like the kind that doesn't feel like, man, this, this church is just constantly getting hammered for all the ways in which they're being foolish. Uh, read First and 2 Thessalonians. You'll be encouraged. And if you feel like you missed the rapture, that'll also help you out too. 2 Thessalonians 1.4, Paul writes, we ourselves speak proudly of you among churches of God. Why? What would cause? Because we're, you know, you, you have lingering in your mind. There is no boasting. There's only boasting in Christ. So it should catch our ear if Paul says we should boast in something. 2 Thessalonians 1, uh, 4. We ourselves boast about you, believer, in the churches of God. For what? For your steadfastness or your perseverance. Same word in Romans 5, 4. For your steadfastness and faith amidst all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you're enduring. Brother and sister, your suffering, actually, the way you go through it and endure it, actually becomes an encouragement to believers around you to give glory to God for you. Now, I get that may not, well, it certainly doesn't solve the issue of your suffering. We could put that out there. And it can be hard if you're in the midst of suffering, even for someone to know how to approach you and tell you like, hey, I've, I've been watching what you're going through. And I've drawn strength and my faith has been encouraged and I give glory to God for what you're going through. I, I realize, I mean, it's my line of work. That, that's hallowed ground. Because you're, you, what you're saying to that person is, and you're not saying, hey, too bad for you, you know, but you are saying, I'm recognizing this thing you're going through and it's not easy and I know you probably want out of it, but when I watch your faith, mine is strengthened. So if you go through suffering as a Christian and you don't find people writing you letters that sound like that, <laughs> know that it can be difficult for someone to even know how to, to approach that with you. To enter into that, that most holy place in the sense of what God is using suffering for in your life to make you more like Christ. To even know, where do I start? Where do I begin? But that is a motivation for us to endure. To know that people can look at our lives and the things we face and say, I'm boasting in you. Notice what Paul is saying in there too in verse 4. We're boasting about you in other churches. Your endurance, your faith amidst persecution and in affliction Man, we're going around telling other churches, check out the Thessalonians. And so when you're going through something, know that God is, I mean, he's doing 10,000 other things besides what he's doing in your life. 
And truly because he wastes nothing. You don't know how many lives are being encouraged by the way you faithfully endure. Only heaven's going to reveal that. Yeah, you may get a foretaste of that when somebody drops you a kind note or sends you a text. But trust me, God is taking it and using it and multiplying it out to strengthen and to build his church and to give himself glory because this is him staying always far ahead of who we typically want to give credit to, right? I mean, the default in so many believers' lives is that Satan's always up to something and he's always behind everything. And it's sadly where we should be like Paul in these situations, giving glory to God when we see these things happening and we're stepping back and watching people's default is like, man, there goes Satan again. You know, I got that coworker. He's, he's just on my back and he's giving me a hard time. Satan, pray for me, guys. Satan, Satan. It's like, really? You want to give him top billing at the end of the credits? And so you don't think I'm being uh, facetious about this. What's the next line in 2 Thessalonians 1.5 say? What's God doing through that resistance, through the, the affliction you're suffering? Verse 5, right on the heels of him saying, we're praising God for your steadfastness. He says, and this thing that you're enduring is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Who's the one that should be getting top billing when you talk about it? God should. But yet our default is to want to always pin it on Satan and, and talking about him and where's the spiritual warfare in it. That's crazy talk. What does Paul say? No, no, no. This endurance you're going through, this persecution and affliction is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. You know what he's saying there? That you, and he's particularizing this in afflictions that we suffer for our faith. So he's not, this isn't, now we're, we're moving from the general idea of suffering into particular, uh, when you are afflicted for enduring as a Christian, whether that's against, like I said, a coworker, a family member, whoever it might be. That Paul's thought here is to say, that happening to you is evidence of God's righteous judgment that you are considered worthy of the kingdom of God. Your faith should be strengthened in that. You're doing something right. You're actually living in a way, imagine this, fulfilling Matthew 5, being salt and light, a difference maker in the world, that the darkness that hates the light and wants to flee is coming in, into the light and it doesn't like it. That your saltiness that is not to lose its saltiness, otherwise it's worthless. It's actually affecting people around you with righteous living. And he's saying that's evidence of the righteous judgment of God. So he's not laying aside that, yes, there's some evil happening here. But do know that God has you in your situation going through this suffering, affliction that is being brought on you from outside of you. To show that there one is a God who is righteous and judge over all of this. And he's the one who reigns. But you are living in such a way that you're worthy of his kingdom. And verse 6 Leave the revenge, leave the repayment, whatever you want to call it, up to him. Verse 6, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. So, so vengeance is never ours when we go through some type of persecution for our faith. Some type of, I, I need to, how do I respond to get back at them? That's not for us. He's saying, we have trusted that to God. What you can rejoice in is that he has you in that scenario, in that situation, with that person, according to his sovereign design, so that you can be a kingdom influence. So endurance is helping others fix their hope on Christ by our examples amidst all type of persecution and affliction. Fourth one, endurance is part of God's will for our lives. Very simple from Hebrews 10, 36. That you suffering, being afflicted, it is part of something greater that God is working out. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. What is he saying here? It's very literal. You need to keep enduring, Hebrews 10.36, so that when you have already done the will of God, meaning you're in the process of enduring something, you're in the midst of it. And the purpose is to continue to stay under that word, to, to, to stay under, to abide under it, to keep going through it, to not give up, so that there's accomplishment of the will of God and you may receive what was promised. Enduring is part of God's will in both what it does in you in these moments 
and in others and prepares for you in advance. Now, the thing that I want you to consider for a moment is in that one verse, that one truth, you have need of endurance, a good thing, so that when you've done the will of God, a good thing, you may receive something. Now, sometimes you have to stop with your verse and go, there's a uh, condition. You may receive what was promised. So there's a chance that I may not receive it. How may I not receive what was promised? Well, when, when, I, when, I, when I tap out, when I'm done, when I lash back, when I don't overcome evil with good, when I fight fire with fire, when I don't bear under and endure, and I, and I say, nope, then, well, God is still sovereign. There's just a missing out of what was promised. Now, am I talking about the great debate about losing your salvation? Absolutely not. This isn't about you enduring in your Christian life has nothing to do with you losing your salvation. Otherwise, you could take Romans 5.1 out of your Bible. If you could lose your salvation, then what does it mean to be justified by faith? It's not worth anything. If you could get something as glorious as a salvation and have peace with God and live in the grace of God and hope in the future glory of God, but you know what? You might lose it. So we're not talking about losing salvation here. This is about living in the full blessing of God to reward us for the way in which we endure that brings glory to him. So our salvation in this is in question. And sometimes we can think about perseverance or endurance as this concept of like, hey, as Christians, we're kind of just all standing around with our fingers crossed like, oh, Jerry, you're going through that hard thing. Hope you make it. Have fun storming the castle, you know. Like, it's not going to happen, but good on you. That's not what perseverance in Christianity is. Perseverance in Christianity is the world of difference between I hope you make it, meaning you might not, and I hope you make it well. That's what your life as a believer, enduring and, and persevering and being steadfast is. The believers around you saying, I, I know you're going to make it. I hope you make it well. Both now like as in there's an impact when you live it, when you're just going through it and you're enduring and you're trusting in the Lord, you're making it well. You may not feel like you are, but that's what it's doing. And he says there's reward for that. Endurance is a virtue commended in 1 Timothy 6.11. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and perseverance. It's something to pursue, not avoid. Because there's reward attached to it, which is our fifth point. It's not just part of God's will for our lives. Endurance is part of God's reward for our lives. James 1.12. Wonderful truth in James in the first chapter. Curtis read through the whole thing, but it was at the end that should catch our ear. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. That's end language. That's not in the middle. The in the middle language is remaining steadfast under trial. But there is reward for endurance at the end, which is standing the test, receiving the crowd of, crown of life, which then gets us back to Romans 5. What comes after the endurance? Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Why do I go there from James 1.12? Because James 1.12 says... There is those who have been approved. What's the word there? And suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. That word for character is the finished product. Instead of Christianity that quits, you've got the real deal in verse 4. That's the word character. It's, it's just a simple word uh, that's a word for evidence, something tested, something genuine. So, you know, translators, rightly so, uh, will translate it as character, proven character, or virtue, because that's what it is. The finished product of your life when you've been through a trial for a season, however long it is, is you have a greater testedness, which is the summation of your Christ-likeness. You, you, you've, you've shown that you've actually, that change that happened in your life, believer, when you were justified by faith that's on the inside that happened at your salvation, when you've suffered, what that's shown is what you actually have on the inside that's never actually been brought out. Your salvation, when you were born again, when you came to Christ, what changed on you was on the inside. You were given the capacity, the potential, the ability to become something now new on the outside. But what is going to produce that is suffering in your life. Now, 
Not to say prosperity can't do that. And we don't rejoice when we feel like we're in a season of life. God's kindness and favor and all of that is shining upon us. And that's a greenhouse of grace that we would rejoice in any time in life that we're in. So it's not to say, okay, so the only time, Adam, you're saying I want to grow and be sanctified is in suffering. No, but it's, it's going to be the, one of the main ingredients. And we know that because God's word says it, and you know that because you've seen it. I mean, my pastoral ministry, when I get together to talk with people, I'm not saying for counseling, but I'm saying just meeting a new believer, meeting somebody that starts coming to this church. You know how, what percentage of our conversation is, is just about like living in the Shire? Like 10%. And, and it's not because we're, you know, melancholy people, even though I might suffer from that a bit. You know, I grew up in a really rainy place on the planet. But the majority of my conversations when I get to know other Christians, like a real kind, of, not like passing around, but like we sit down for a lunch and talk. People, imagine this, want to tell me about the hard things they've been through as Christians. Far more than all the victories. I'm just saying for my, my own life, even when, Adam, tell me about yourself. I'm usually talking more about the obstacles and the challenges and the periods of growth than I am like victory, victory, buckets all day. Just never lose. I mean, I'd really be a terrible prosperity preacher because I can't even be serious about it myself because it doesn't exist. Because the tested genuineness of your faith comes through the crucible of suffering. It's the acid test. And that's what we, I'm not saying, but that's where we find that, wow, that you went through that and you're still standing. And you're still holding on to those threads. That's the real deal, is what he's saying here. That suffering you went through produced this endurance, and now the finished, well, it's not finished till we're home. But even as today, there's a product that looks different today than yesterday. Through the enduring of suffering, you become someone you never would have been without it. You become in living reality who you are in theory. Hard part is the pain to get there. And we are not called to rejoice in the pain in and of itself, but what the pain produces, the whole picture. Because if, sometimes I substitute words in to help my own understanding of things. You know, so Paul uses knowing that suffering produces something. Back to that, verse 3. He is always particular, led by the Holy Spirit to choose the right words. He doesn't say... It's about what you know. It's not about what you feel. It's not about what you think. Some pastor told me that years ago. can't remember who it was, but it stuck with me. Adam, you're going to live your Christian life and help others to live it when you can help them see. It's not what you feel and it's not what you think. It goes back to what you know. That's faith. So substitute that word into this sentence. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, feeling that suffering produces endurance. Like feeling it. Oh, I'm feeling it. Suffering's awesome. No, it's not. It hurts. And nobody in their right mind says, man, I just love, this hurts, I love it. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, or uh, we rejoice in our sufferings, thinking that suffering produces endurance, as in we extrapolate to get to that end. We pontificate. That's not how you get there. He says, you know, it's faith. You believe it. Because if it's about feeling, pain doesn't feel good. And if it's about thinking, our mind falls apart trying to come up with a definition or explanation of how suffering in and of itself is good. So what we know is what suffering produces and you put all that together and then you stand a real Christian, tested and approved and stronger in faith and deeper in devotion and more joyful in Jesus. I was trying to figure this out in my head kind of putting it together when I was on the treadmill the other night running and um, that's doing treadmills. Yeah, good. I mean, I could just be standing there thinking like it's going to work. Then I turned the thing on and being somewhat out of shape right now, um, I don't like running on treadmills to begin with. I don't like to run. Um, so I'm, I'm running on it and I was thinking the, the connection here 
of what's happening to me as I run, as I stick with it. And, uh, you know, I'm, all I'm trying to do right now is run one mile in 10 minutes. I mean, that's my goal. And halfway through, all I'm feeling is this hurts, this hurts, this hurts, this hurts. My legs just hurt. So I'm just, I'm feeling that. Hurt, 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 hurt. And then I'm like, what am I thinking? And all I was thinking was, I want to eat chips, 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 <laughs> chips, chips, chips. And so if I went off of what I was feeling, this hurts, this hurts, this hurts, wanting, thinking, nachos, 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 it's nighttime, who, who doesn't want to eat nachos at 8 p.m. at night? I said, Adam, what do you know? You know you're out of shape. You know you got a bunch of little kids running around your house, and you ain't getting any younger. You know it's just good to be in good physical shape. You know that if you just got it out, for five more minutes when you don't want to, tomorrow it will be slightly less painful. You might be just a step faster and you can run a, a nine minute and 58 second mile instead of a 10 minute mile. It's what I knew that kept me on there. An outcome that I could believe in. But certainly not what I feel and what I think. And so it is with faith, faith in our suffering. We all want to quit from time to time, because it hurts, and we don't have to pretend that it doesn't. And we don't have to ignore the reality of sin and suffering in the world and try to call it something else. What we have to do is fight what we feel and think from overriding what we know. Because what you know keeps you in it. Proving character, all of the ways in which he's conforming us to the image of Christ through what we're going through. That's the process God has chosen to use to produce in us character. And then there's something even more to rejoice in in this whole package, and we're going to see it next week. That character produces hope. A hope that will never put us to shame. And we'll talk about that next Sunday. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and its work in our hearts. We pray that you would seal these truths to our hearts, that any who come in here heavy laden and weary can hear a message of endurance and not feel like it's someone telling them to turn up the treadmill faster, when it in reality is to say, look at the great salvation that we have and look at the God of endurance and look at our Savior who endured and look at the Spirit who brings us the ability to be patiently enduring so that we can keep going. Thank you that it's always, always what you have first done for us and what you're doing in us so that we can have a part in something being done through us. So, so help that to be our mark of understanding this morning, that we go from here knowing all of the blessings that you've given us for our salvation and all the help that you have empowered us with in our sanctification to become more like Jesus and to become that who we already are because we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We ask these things. We bank on your promises in your son and in your son alone. Amen.